Uh, once again, I want to reiterate that this podcast is not intended to be an extremely elaborate or detailed account of any of the events that I cover over the course of the podcast. All it is is supposed to be a crash course in all of the events that took place that I cover. So, if you want to learn more about anything that I cover on this podcast, I almost want to say visit your local library, but I'm not going to say that. But feel free to do your own research. I always encourage that. So, with that being said, enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast. The podcast is Tanner Talks About Stuff That Happened. I am Tanner, and I am going to be talking about stuff that happened. And the stuff that happened that we are going to be talking about today is the Spanish Armada and the attempt of that Spanish Armada to sail to the shores of England in 1588, the unsuccessful attempt of the Spanish Armada to do so in 1588. So, let's just dive right into this. Now, first of all, I want to make it clear that an armada and a navy are two separate things. A navy is the name for all seaworthy vessels used in military service by a single country at a given time. An armada is a specific collection of those ships in the same vicinity working toward the same objective. I didn't know that before researching for this episode, but the distinction between those two terms will be useful in understanding the Spanish Armada in 1588. There, now, there's no arguing that the British Empire was the strongest modern empire in terms of power, control, organization, and longevity. The French colonial empire can be counted as a close second place. Other world powers have sampled colonialism with varying results, but the European empires take the cake as the most famous in global history. However, one world power is often forgotten in this discussion, and that power is Spain. Something I think should be acknowledged is that Spain and Portugal were ahead of the game with colonialism. Portugal essentially began the age of imperialism with their colonization of the African islands of Ceuta, Madeira, Azores, and Cape Verde. I probably butchered those names. I'm sorry, Portuguese is not my first language, obviously. Now, the Spanish took notice of the, of the resources that could be tapped because of this exploration and decided to try their hand at it. This led to Columbus's quote-unquote, discovery of the Americas in 1492, which I covered in a previous episode. And to have a wider understanding of why the Spanish accidentally discovered the New World, take a listen to that episode, but continuing on about the Spanish colonization right now. The first permanent British settlement in the Americas was Jamestown, settled in 1607. The first French settlement was Quebec, or Quebec, settled in 1608. These are very early settlements, but paled in comparison to the first Spanish settlement in the New World. The city of Santo Domingo, today the cultural, financial, commercial, and industrial center of the Dominican Republic, was the first permanent Spanish colony in the New World, settled in 1493, over a century before the British or French were able to get colonial boots on the ground. As Britain and France were rising as military and economic powers, Spain decided that their claim to fame would be that their newfound colonial power. This can be attributed to a rivalry with Portugal, who was also making colonial attempts worldwide. For the next two centuries, Spain would expand their colonial efforts to include modern-day Florida, Louisiana, Nevada, Utah, New Mexico, California, and Arizona in the United States, 
as well as modern-day Mexico, Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, Panama, Colombia, Venezuela, Ecuador, Peru, Bolivia, Chile, Argentina, Paraguay, Uruguay, Cuba, and Puerto Rico, and that's just in the Americas. In the Pacific, the Spanish would lay claim to land in the Philippines, Guam, and the Mariana and Caroline Islands, and in Africa, in Morocco and Equatorial Guinea. That's over 30 modern countries and territories. So if we're discussing the rivalry between Britain and France in the colonial era, it seems only fair that Spain be included in that party. Just my opinion. In keeping up with all of these colonies, it became a logistical nightmare to supply each of the uh, each of the colonies, so an enormous merchant navy was assembled to meet the needs of those colonies. For almost a century, these ships remained primarily merchant vessels with an occasional military escort, but in 1585, spurred by religious differences and accusations of smuggling, conflict broke out with Britain. If you know anything about the Spanish Inquisition, you'll know that Spanish rulers were pretty serious about Catholicism. But with the rise of Protestantism in Britain spreading to mainland Europe, the Spanish weren't liking what they saw. Though never formally declared, this conflict caused Spain to militarize much of its navy, as Elizabeth I was hiring privateering forces to attack Spanish vessels headed for the Caribbean. Spain was not considered a great naval power up to this point, because their navy was made up primarily of supply ships. But with this outbreak of conflict, they figured it was time to bring out some big guns. The Spanish ruling family, headed by Philip II, started piecing together plans to overthrow Elizabeth, as her meddling was a direct threat to the Catholic rule, as well as to the survival of the Spanish colonial empire. This culminated with the decision to invade England altogether and topple her kingdom. Philip collected some taxes for the expedition with the blessing of the papacy, but part of the reason that he felt this was feasible was that for the last century, Spain had been building an enormous navy capable of sustaining its colonial empire. With the recent militarization of that fleet, such a fleet would be for a formidable invading force, and as Philip gathered the new armada on the Iberian Peninsula, it became one of the largest fleets in modern history. As the fleet assembled, it numbered 130 vessels of various models. By 1587, most of the fleet was gathered in the Bay of Cadiz, just west of the Strait of Gibraltar, when disaster struck. An English privateer led a raiding party against the Spanish fleet in the bay in April and May of 1587. They struck day after day with daring attacks and ferocious, talented warriors. They boxed Spanish ships in the bay and did not allow them to leave, firing upon the fleet as it sat like sitting ducks in the crowded harbor. The Spanish ships could not maneuver because they were in port and were already resting side to side. From the first few attacks, the English withdrew, having destroyed around 30 Spanish ships completely. No record exists that the English lost any vessels in the attack. Returning to England, the man leading the raiding party was hailed as a hero and was knighted by Elizabeth while being branded as a pirate by the Spanish. You may have heard of him. His name was Sir Francis Drake. Philip was furious. He had assembled the largest fleet on the planet at the time and had been dealt a swift right hook to the jaw. 
It set his invasion back an entire year, which gave the English plenty of time to prepare with their new knowledge of the Spanish fleet brought back by Sir Drake. This was instrumental in the eventual fate of the Spanish Armada. By 1588, Philip had recouped his losses and replenished his fleet. It numbered once again 130 vessels, 2,500 guns, 8,000 sailors, and 18,000 soldiers. But Philip knew it wasn't enough to storm the beaches of England, especially knowing that the element of surprise was non-existent. And he reached out to his allies further inland for help. At the time, much of Europe was ruled by the Habsburg family, which I will probably do an episode about in the future because that in and of itself is a discussion for another time. But the Netherlands and Spain were both under the firm jurisdiction of the Habsburgs. Because of this, Philip saw that he had friends in the Netherlands and sent word to the Spanish government of the region, who quickly agreed to send 55,000 troops with the Spanish fleet to invade England. The only catch was that the Armada would have to pick up these soldiers themselves. The plan was for the Armada to dock in the Netherlands, pick up the soldiers, and then on to England. On the 28th of May, 1588, Philip set his plan into action and began sending his ships off to the English Channel. All in all, it took two days for his entire fleet to leave the port of Lisbon. The fleet was delayed by bad weather several times, and it wasn't until the 19th of July that Spanish ships were sighted by English lookouts. Philip knew that his attack would not be a surprise to the English, but he had no idea how extensively they'd prepared for it. Elizabeth had mustered 200 ships to repel the invasion, significantly outnumbering the 130 that had departed from Lisbon. As the Spanish departed the Channel, the English sent advance parties of smaller vessels to intercept them. Though the enormous fleet had the advantage in close-quarter fighting due to the amount of guns stacked on each ship, the English ships were smaller and lighter, and had a maneuverability that the Spanish lacked. Just like in the Bay of Cadiz, the English were able to escape relatively unscathed while dealing some significant damage to the Spanish ships. This happened several times in the Channel, with Elizabeth playing a game of cat and mouse with Philip. And in response, the Spanish fleet assumed a defensive, tightly bound, crescent-style formation. Though the English ships were quick, they were no match for a wall of reinforced wood and cannon. They had used most of their gunpowder already and were in short supply of most other munitions. They had to adapt, or the battle was lost. So they did. As the Spanish fleet neared the port of Gravelines, a port in the Spanish Netherlands close to France and as near to England as the Spanish could get, the English sent five ships on a collision course with the Spanish Armada. These ships had been coated in pitch, which is almost as flammable as oil but burns longer, and set ablaze before they were sent off to the Spanish. The Spanish thought these ships were loaded with gunpowder and explosives, and such an explosion set off in their tightly packed formation would be devastating to their numbers and they reacted accordingly, loosening their formation. Because of their quick action, the Spanish were able to evade the burning ships unscathed, but they were now scattered throughout the channel, and a sudden southwesterly wind prevented them from grouping together again. They were sitting ducks, and the English pounced. With their superior maneuverability, the English ships were able to punish the Spanish Armada with powerful broadside cannon fire, which killed dozens of gunners. The job would then fall to regular foot soldiers, who were inexperienced with firing cannons and began to cause misfires. At several points, 
Ships were close enough for men on the top decks to exchange musket fire. It was a mess of ships sailing into one another, between one another, close enough to board. Hundreds of vessels vanished into a cloud of gun smoke, and the sound of battle was deafening. This lasted for eight hours before the English, now nearly out of ammunition, were forced to retreat. They destroyed five Spanish ships and severely damaged many others, and escaped without a single of their ships being sunk. The Spanish were unable to dock in the Spanish Netherlands and pick up their invasion army as they were being pursued by the rest of the English fleet. Then, the wind changed, making it impossible for the Armada to go back the way they came. They would have to sail north around the British Isles to get back to Spain. There was no other choice. It was a disaster. The journey around the British Isles was fraught with misery. When rounding Scotland, many ships ran aground in the shallows and the crews were slaughtered by the locals. Off the coast of Ireland, the Armada was caught in a series of violent storms which sunk many of the vessels that had been damaged in the Battle of Gravelines. Over 5,000 men perished through drowning, disease, and starvation. As the beleaguered fleet neared Spain once again, only 67 of the original 130 ships entered the harbor, with a fraction of the sailors. When Philip learned of the failure, he famously said, quote, I send the armada against men, not God's wind and waves. The Spanish would never again attempt to invade Britain. The following year... England would raise a similar armada of 150 ships and send them to battle against the Spanish under the command of Sir Francis Drake, but the armada would endure a similar fate, with thousands dead, dozens of ships lost, and nothing to show for it. But that's a story for another time. Thank you for tuning into the podcast today, everybody. I'm sorry it was a little bit of a shorter episode. I hope you don't mind. Uh, it's finals week this week and next week, and I've got a lot to do. So, uh, I will be back with another episode next week, hopefully all things pending on uh, how crazy finals week gets, but thank you for tuning in. And I hope you are all staying safe and healthy during this COVID-19 pandemic. See you next week.